0: As they're passing out communion, I would encourage you to just uh, hold it and just ask the Holy Spirit to help you have a new experience with communion tonight, an experience you've never had in your life. After Jesus was resurrected, he made a seven mile walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus, on the road to Emmaus. For seven miles, he talked, he shared, he explained scripture, and he wasn't recognized. All the two could talk about was, don't you know what happened in Jerusalem? He was crucified. And they were so locked in on, this is what happened. And they were so locked in on this traumatic event of, but we saw him, we saw him crucified. And we don't understand. And they were so locked in on what they thought and what they believed and. They were so locked in to how they interpreted everything. That the resurrected Christ was in their presence and they didn't know it. They didn't know it. I was reading this this week, and Jesus showed me something I never saw before. And so I've asked him to open our hearts tonight so we could receive seven miles. They walked. He opened up the scriptures to them from Moses all the way through. They didn't recognize him. They didn't know Christ was right beside them. And then Jesus took the bread. And Jesus showed me something this week I've never seen before. In the Hebrew and in the Greek, the word blessed literally means I kneel before you. And I reach in, and whatever power of God I have in me, I put it in you. So for me, when I'm signing emails or text blessings to me, I'm kneeling in the spirit going, God, whatever power you have in me, put it into this person. So when Jesus blessed the bread, he put his power into. And as soon as he blessed the bread, their eyes were open. And they were like, "How you're the resurrected Christ. And he was walking with them for seven miles. So I pray for you tonight. That when you eat the bread and you drink the cup, the very that was in Jesus that went into those disciples on the road of Emmaus will go into you and you will wake up and the, the ceiling will crack off of you. And you will receive what he has for you tonight. Take your bread and your You know that on God's calendar, we're between Passover and Pentecost. We are in the season where the disciples were transitioning from being sons of God, and he was preparing them for a place to be an eternal spouse of the Son. And so from Passover to Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit is knocking on the heart's door, trying to show us truth in the Spirit, trying to heal something in our soul that's never been healed before, so that we can lift our voice with Psalm 24 and say, Open up gates of me, that the King of glory may come into me. I asked Jesus in this season, I said, Jesus, and I do this all the time because I think wonder is critical to the Christian walk. If you don't have wonder, plead for it, ask for it. Wonder, amazement, where you're just speechless at his goodness and that he loves you and he talks to me. He wants to be close to me. I find that amazing and a wonder. And the more I stay in wonder, it's like the windows of Revelation just open up. Because I'm like a child, you see. And he said the childlike will receive the kingdom of heaven. So I said, Jesus, tell me again. And tell me afresh, why was your resurrection so important? Why was it important for you to be resurrected? Because the Jews already had forgiveness of sins. When they shed the blood on the altar, their sins were forgiven. In fact, they had forgiveness of sins for them as a whole nation. They had signs and wonders. People were raised from the dead. The sick were healed. They commanded the sun to stop, and it didn't move for 24 hours. They won battles by singing worship songs, or the enemy turned on itself. Jeremiah prophesies Israel's going in to captivity for 70 years. Exactly at 70 years, they come out. Daniel prophesies right down to the very month and year of 1948 that Israel would be gathered back in. They moved in a realm of prophecy that we don't even know today. So it's like, why did you have to be resurrected? Look at everything they had. But then Isaiah got the prophetic word. Because in Isaiah 49.6, he says, you know, it's too light a thing, speaking of the Messiah. It's too light a thing that you just come for the children of Jacob. The father speaking to the Messiah. It's too light that you come for just the children of Israel. I'm having you come to earth for the non jew Who don't have forgiveness of sins and they don't have healings and deliverances and visions and covenant. It is cool. I like that, Chad. So I want to share with you tonight perhaps a slightly different paradigm on why the resurrection was so important. And what did it bring even to the Jew that they didn't have in the Old Testament? Because, you see, the Holy Spirit came upon them. They were anointed. They they had great oneness and glory in certain seasons. Why? What was important about the resurrection? And it's found very, very simply... It's in the prayer of Jesus. And I pray even now that any preconceived ideas you have about, well, the resurrection was for this or it was for that, would be erased. That you would give him, if you will, a clean whiteboard to speak from his heart. Because if you hear this tonight, It's a paradigm shifter for your whole faith. And that's not exaggerating, dear ones. So I want to take you on a journey through Scripture. But it's important. It's important. John 17, verse 20. Father, Jesus is praying. Oh, Father, I don't pray for these only, but I pray for all those who will believe in me through their word. That's you. He's praying for you. Take it personal. This is what Jesus prayed for you. He saw you, he saw this season in your life, and this is what he prayed for you. How loving that they may all be one, just as you, Father, in me and I'm in you. May they be in us, so the whole world will believe you sent me. And, Father, the glory that you've given me, I give it to them, that they may be one as we are one. One thing that no one had until the resurrection was the glory. They saw it in the Old Testament. They experienced it. But no one had Jesus come up to them like he's doing in this prayer. And he reaches inside of his being and he says, this is my glory, Peggy. I put it in you. This is my glory, Shelly. I, I trust you with it, okay? I trust you, Shelly. Here's the glory. I put it in you. It's the best treasure I got. I'm giving it to you, Chad. He couldn't do that before the resurrection because we needed a blood covering to our core and we needed the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us to receive it. Every time they got close to the glory in the Old Testament, the Father would say, I have to just hide you in the rock. Jesus now takes this quantum leap and says, You're covered in the blood and you have the spirit of me in you. I don't have to hide you in a rock from my glory. In fact, I'm putting it deep inside of you. Your journey is to set it free. And Jesus prayed. I in them and you in me, Father, that they may become perfectly one so that the world will know that you sent me and the believers will know you love them the same way that you love me. And, Father, I desire that those whom you've given me may be with me where I am to see my glory. He's not talking about heaven. He's not talking about heaven. He's saying, I've put my glory in you, but the earth is full of my glory. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, see where he is, see how he's moving. He said, I want them, Father, to see where I am moving in the earth and put their glory with my glory and give me agreement. Couldn't do that without resurrection. And the Holy Spirit. I want them to see my glory that you've given me. Because you've loved me before the foundation of the world. Oh righteous Father. The world doesn't know you. But I know you. And these know. That you have sent me. I have made known to them your name. And I'll continue to make it known. So that. The love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Did you catch that? Did you catch it? He's saying, follow his prayer. I'm going to reach in in my own glory. I'm going to put it in everyone who believes in me, and then I'm going to just... Hebrews 7, 25, even now Jesus is interceding that we will receive the fullness of salvation. And when I get up to heaven after the resurrection, I'm just going to pray and intercede that they will allow me to uncover the glory I'm putting within them because my glory is in the earth. And if they can learn to see me in situations and in people and hit glory to glory, my kingdom will come like that in any moment and in any situation. But, Father, for them to carry and release my glory, They've got to believe that you love them. And in the Greek, it's with the same exact duplicate love you have for me. Not cerebrally going, Father loves me like he loves Jesus. No, it's to the core where you know it in every moment, in every situation and circumstance. He will do for me what he did for Jesus because he loves me. And he's leading you step by step. And then he prays the culmination. Father, you know the love you have for me, your son. I want them to love me with that exact same love. Now, I don't know about you, and it's probably like the way he's remade me, but when I'm by myself, I can't hardly read that verse. Because I get speechless. I can't get the words out hardly when I'm by myself. Because it's like, oh, Father. (laughs) Not just all have sinned, but fallen short of the glory. (laughs) You mean, you mean that the Holy Spirit has deposited in this glory in me the ability to love Jesus with as much purity and wholeheartedness and passion as the father loves him I'm not there Are you? But do you see that's what we're made for Jesus is not frivolous with a prayer He's saying I see all things. I am the Word made flesh. I was there in the beginning when the world was made. I was there in the beginning when I saw the Father's heart and I saw what He wanted to do for all mankind. I saw and I heard His dream when He said, In our image be. And I saw. And I know he has not given up on his dream, and neither will I. I will pray it in the earth again. You were created to be in his image. And to uncover what's in you that you have to come To love others like the Father loves them. We couldn't do that before resurrection. Because it takes the same spirit which rose Christ from the dead. Dwells in us to quicken our mortal body. It's not talking about after death or rapture jazz. It's talking about now. 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 I can quicken you to have a surge of such a current of pure love that the very love of God is in you for your spouse, for your children, for your family, for your neighbor. And some of the men that we talked about before we started this recording, we process often. I know. The terrorists have done this. I know the persecution has done this. I know they've done this to the teenage girls. I know they bombed this family. I know they amputated your brother's hand. We must love them. We must love them. The strongest story that ever just rocked me to the core as to what John 17, this kind of glory and love looks like, happened several years ago in Syria. I will not use names. There were several families meeting. Altogether, there were 14 children and a lot of families. I don't remember the exact number, but they were meeting, and suddenly ISIS soldiers came in. They lined up the children. See, I could say this because we don't have children here tonight. Usually I can't give these kinds of illustrations. And the youngest was five years old all the way up to 14. They lined them up and put all the parents in a circle. And they said to the parents, We will make you wish you never heard the name of Isi, of Jesus. And we will torture you Forever. And the ISIS soldiers went to the five-year-old and said, say, I love Allah. And the baby boy said, I love Jesus. Say it. They beheaded the five-year-old. They went right down the line and beheaded every one of those children. Because every one of those children refused to say anything but, I love Jesus. The mothers and the fathers were mourning and wailing. And then suddenly one mother just got angry. And she lifted up her voice and she started praising and worshiping God. And all the parents started praising and worshiping God. And the Holy Spirit slew all the ISIS soldiers. They were slain in the spirit, had a vision of Jesus, and every one of them got saved before the sun went down that day. Wow. That's what resurrection's about. And you don't have to be in a situation like that to have that kind of love and that kind of power. It can start with forgiving your spouse, forgiving your coworker. That's resurrection. It's a different realm when you realize resurrection wasn't just for the forgiveness of sins and so we can be raised from the dead and be in heaven forever. That is truth. Yes but resurrection was for your assignment in the earth. And it doesn't mean you have to go be a missionary. It means your assignment wherever you are in the earth to walk in the love of God. Glory is a word that's a little bit rugged for most people. If a service has has a lot of signs and wonders. Sometimes people go, wow, a lot of glory in the service. Yes, there was. You're right. But embracing the glory is a journey. During these same times from Passover to Pentecost was Moses' journey. You know when Moses first heard the voice of God, he had been a wounded man He had grown up in a palace, had to bow to idols, but his mother was Jewish, and he believed in Jehovah. Then he has to flee, and then he's out in the desert, and then he meets a kind man, Jethro, who's a shepherd and a Midian priest, which means he worshiped idols. But Moses felt safe there, and in the midst, the burning bush comes. The glory of God comes in the burning bush, and Moses is kind of closed And every time God asks him something, he goes, I don't think I can do that. I can't talk. I don't even know your name. And in the Hebrew, what he was saying is, I'm not even really sure I'm in relationship with you. And then we go to the point where at some point he doesn't need Aaron anymore because he's growing. And he's finding his own voice. And then there's this beautiful picture in Exodus 33 where Moses speaks to God and says, you know, you've you've done all these things, and your presence has been with us. I'm, I'm grateful. Look at all these signs and wonders you're doing. I'm so grateful. But I don't think I really know who you are personally. Will you show me your glory? And in the Hebrew, the glory means show me who you really are show me who you really are your character because someone's presence whatever kind of presence they carry it's because of the character they have the character in their soul and in their spirit the depth of oneness they have with him so the glory is all that you are that creates the presence And so God says to him, I'm going to hide you behind a rock because you just, you're not able to receive all that I am. It'll, it, you'll just get overloaded. You can't live and know it. And he says, but I will do two things for you, Moses. I will show you my goodness. And listen to this. And I will proclaim my name to you. In the Hebrew, it is the same term as when it says, and Jesus called the light, I mean, the Father called the light day. He says, as I walk past you and you see my goodness, I'm going to proclaim my name, everything I am to you. It took Moses quite a journey to receive that moment the disciples I'm sure you've heard it in a lot of your churches in recent weeks when Jesus was resurrected they couldn't believe it they had just been traumatized and seen him hanging on a cross and so they're in the room afraid because that image is in their minds and they're thinking are we going to be next and can I hold steady if they hang me on a cross and so they go through these days and Jesus just so tenderly just keeps visiting I'm here it's me see I'm real here give me some bread and fish here let me explain the scriptures to you here and then if you will in the beauty of heaven He's been trying to deal with all their strongholds and their reasonings and their fears and all their thoughts so that they can open wide the gate of their heart. And the last thing he does, it's an act to almost heal their PTSD, to use our terms today. Surely they had PTSD of seeing the one they loved, tortured and hanging on the cross. And so in his last image with them, He's whole, and they watch him, like, talking to him. And then the Greek images, he just kept blessing them as he got higher and higher and higher and higher and higher. And their last image would have healed that PTSD and, like, he is alive. You see... We don't know it, but we have stuff inside that hinders us from swinging wide the door of our spirit to him. In 2 Corinthians two eleven, Paul says, we're not ignorant of the wiles of Satan. And some of you have heard me talk about this verse. It means we're not ignorant of the wiles. It's the Greek word, noemata, which means we're not ignorant that Satan first comes at our mind. And the word he used for Satan is diabolos. Dia, for diameter, like shooting an arrow through a bullseye, bolos, to hit over and over. Paul's going, um, we're not ignorant. That Satan hits our mind over and over and over and over with thoughts. So we can build up mental strongholds, our reasonings, our imaginations, opinions, judgments. (laughs) And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, he's processing and he goes, We've got to demolish the strongholds and the reasonings, and the imaginations. Now, if you want to know if you have any, they've been developed well by the enemy, and we have helped him a lot. Okay? Unintentionally, we have. Strongholds, imaginations, and reasonings are anything that causes you to judge God, yourself, or others. Anything that lessens your capacity to give and receive love with him and you, that affects your capacity to love yourself, celebrate yourself, and to love others and to see Jesus in everybody. Now, this is going to sound rude, so I'm apologizing ahead of time. But for example, if I were to say, "My church is the key to bringing revival to Indianapolis," I have a stronghold because what I've just done is judged all the other churches of Indianapolis. Like, do you follow what I'm saying? Or if I say, "This is what brings revival," I have a stronghold because revivals have come from signs and wonders. Some revivals had no signs and wonders. It was repentance. Other revivals, it was the message of holiness. I'm just giving you examples. Or if I say, well, us and them. If I have any us and them thoughts, it's a stronghold. You see what everybody got your own stuff? You know what I'm talking about? All right. Good, because I don't like talking about that stuff. (laughs) So we'll just slide in. So let me... uh, Let me read some scriptures to you that are the beauty of the Lord. The absolute, unequivocal beauty of the Lord. One is in John, and it's John 13. Now, I want you to notice the gentleness of Jesus, okay? When he first started ministry, he said there are two great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Right? But as he was able to baby step, baby step, grow his disciples, he changes it. Because now they're ready for the meat. John 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I've loved you. That's different. It's one thing to love the neighbor as myself. He's saying, okay, now you're ready for the truth. The new commandment is, love one another the way I love you. Do you hear it? In chapter 15, John chapter 15, verse 9, he says, As the Father has loved me, I've loved you. Abide in my love. And then, he goes to verse 12. This is my commandment. Love one another as I've loved you. 1 John, chapter 2, verse 10. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there's no cause for stumbling. Now, what he's subtly saying is, if you will stay in the light, God will take responsibility for your healing journey. And there'll be nothing in you that will cause you to stumble. Stumble into darkness. Stumble into lack of love. He goes on in chapter 3, and he's talking about how wonderful it is. We're the children of God. And then in verses 8, 9, and 10, he says this. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And then he talks about he came to give you a seed. That seed was the Greek medical term for a chromosome or for DNA. And he said, in you is the very DNA or the very glory of Jesus himself. He says in chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So now, When you read some of these scriptures in John's Gospel and in 1 John, you must now see that they're calling you to love at a realm that Jesus prayed for. They're not using the word love like we use it. They're aware of the prayer of Jesus. They're living it. They are Jews. They know their sins were forgiven before the cross. They know they had signs and wonders. They had prophecies. They had covenant before the cross. So when the cross came, it had to not only swing wide the gate for Gentiles, it had to change something for the Jewish people. And by the resurrection... We are not made righteous by our faith like Abraham. Now, he puts his glory in us. Colossians 1 Christ in us, the hope of glory. Why did he say hope? Because there's no guarantee that you or me are ever going to let the glory come out. It's a hope. It's a hope that you'll open up and say, yes, light be to my strongholds, my reasonings, my opinions, my preferences, anything that hinders love between me and him and myself and anyone else, any opinion. You're going, Susan, that is a bit absurd. It's radical. Yes, it is. But may I remind you, you are not to think of yourselves as citizens of earth. No one else on this earth is called a new creation, but someone who believes in the resurrected Christ. You are a new species. Your realm of capability to love is not like anybody else's in this earth, if you let it be. See, it undoes me. And I know I'm it's probably because I know I'm nothing without him. I told a friend of mine yesterday, I said if he doesn't give me something to say, I have nothing to say. I have nothing. Unless he puts it in me to say, I don't have a word. I don't know anything. tells us to say we do what the spirit says and if he doesn't say we just chill you know I'm not talking about being super fanatical like you got to stand in the grocery store going holy spirit is it this lean cuisine or this healthy choice you're mature people you know I'm not talking that way and you know now how I shop but it's a relaxed atmosphere in you you're restful no matter what happens in life when you realize i did not come from this earth i am a new creation my body and soul will float away but my spirit my spirit was birthed in the heart of the father and my spirit is returning to the father and i want to give him a spirit that is in sync with glory and we'll get to this in Pentecost next month, so that I can take my place equally yoked with my bridegroom. Glory to glory. Mm. But as gentle as he was with Moses and with the disciples, he's gentle with us on our journey. But you must see this is available to you. You have the exact same duplicate glory that Jesus Christ was in this earth in you. And it's not just to do signs and wonders, it, which is important and we must do. Don't hear me minimizing that. It is to change our character. And it is to give us the capacity To believe to the core of our being, the Father loves me the way He loves the Son. So, why would I be anxious or worried? Tear that stronghold down, Lord, by the power of your love. And to have that same love, He loves you. He loves you so much. He died on the cross and was resurrected. So you could meet him glory to glory. So there would be not an iota of difference. Glory to glory. And our journey in this life is to swing wide the gates and let the king of glory come out of us. He's in. So I was.